I get up early in the morning, very early in the morning. It's because I'm more spiritual than you are. It's because I'm ordained. Not too long ago, I was working on the material that I want to teach you this morning. It was very early in the morning. And I was thinking, everyday grace, what in the sand am I going to say about everyday grace? At that moment, my elbow hit a glass of water on my desk, knocked it over. It fell on the work on my computer keyboard and on my pants. I looked like I needed depends. You said, what did you do? Well, I'm ordained, as I told you. So knowing what the scripture says, praise God in all circumstances. I praise God. Are you crazy? <laughs> I kicked that cup across my office. I picked up the papers and threw them in the air and said words that ought never proceed from the mouth of an ordained individual. And in the middle of my cussing and my spitting and drying myself off, I heard laughter. Nobody gets up as early as I do, so I knew it wasn't staff. It was angels. And I found a principle there that I want to teach you this morning. You get this, then you've gotten everything. If you don't live in God's grace when you spill water, you won't live in God's grace when you get cancer. If you don't live in God's grace when you spill water, you won't live in God's grace when you get cancer. This is not a doctrine. It is that. I've spent most of my life teaching people about imputation and justification and biblical sanctification, and they don't want to hear, and so I have to work really hard to get them listen. But I've learned something, and I want you to know it, that if grace doesn't work when you go to the bathroom, it won't work with your sin. If it doesn't work when you're making love to your wife or your husband, it won't work when your life falls apart. Grace isn't just a doctrine. It's 24-7. It's a pool. It's a pool where elephants can swim and children can play. It has to do with reading a good book and going to a movie and falling on your knees in repentance and rejoicing in the worship that we had this morning. It's everything. It's 24-7. It's the place where we live. Let me read some verses to you. It's from the 10th chapter of Matthew. Unless you're a Baptist, you won't find it before I read it. They do sword drills. <laughs> this is at the 26th verse of the 10th chapter 
of Matthew. And at first you'll say, what does this have to do with grace? A whole lot. Let me show you. Listen, so have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Please note the easy way, and Jesus does this a lot, the way he moves from the macrocosm to the microcosm, from the big deal about eternity, about salvation, to birds and bald heads. There's a lot to teach in this text, but as I read it, I saw, men. that is a big jump. I teach in a theological seminary. I write books. I'm the most religious person that I know, and I'm trying to get people to understand in a cerebral way, and you're talking about boldness and dead birds. And then I began to realize how important that is if you don't live in grace. When you spill the water, you won't live there when you get cancer. If you don't live in grace in the little things, you won't live in grace in the big things. And I have two or three things, and then I'm finished, that I want you to see in this particular text. And the first is that God is involved in bold heads and dead sparrows and the eternal verities of the Christian faith. Michael Coist, I think he's dead. Almost everybody I know is dead, except me. <laughs> I eat what I want, smoke my pipe, cuss and spit, and I'm still here. Michael Coist was a, may still be, a French Catholic priest. And years ago, and it's still in print, he wrote a book called Prayers. And he was the first one that I know about who wrote colloquial prayers. He wrote prayers about almost everything that he experienced, and that's the joy of that little book. When he sins, he said, Lord, I'm so ashamed to be seen by my friends, so ashamed to be seen by you. Don't look at me that way, Lord. I'm dirty and I'm down. And God says, look up, child. It's not falling in the mud that's so horrible. It's staying there. One time, Michael Coist is walking across a park in Paris, and, and uh, the families are in this park, and they're playing with their children. 
And uh, he goes back to his little tiny apartment. And he knows that he will never experience children or a wife or familial love like that. And he falls on his knees and he pours out his lonely heart before a God who loves Michael Coist a lot. But one of the fun prayers in that place is where he's sitting in church at mass be, behind a bald-headed guy. And he's thinking about Jesus' words that even the hairs of your head are numbered. And he's saying, God, I praise you for that dome. I praise you that it's so smooth. And I think of Jesus' words, not a hair falls unless God's aware of it. God, you thought about this man a whole lot. <laughs> I'm, that comforts me <laughs> for obvious reasons. Tony Campolo and I did a television show for a year on a network out of New York. I may have told you he's my pinko commie friend and I'm his right-wing reactionary friend and we love each other a lot. Tony said one day, I wouldn't say anything like this, but Tony said we could put our heads together and moon America. <laughs> With, without pulling our pants down. <laughs> Do you see it? God's involved with falling hairs and dead birds and justification and imputation and sanctification and the authority of God's word and ecclesiology. And you gotta see both to make it work in either place. You've heard the definition of flying, that it's hours and hours of boredom interrupted with moments of sheer terror. Well, I spend a good deal of my life on airplanes, and that's true, but it's also true about life, isn't it? Don't you love the excitement of this place? I almost spoke in tongues during the worship this morning. I mean, I found, no, if you say I said this, I'll say you lied, but I had tears coming down my face. It was so good. But we got to go home to the boredom of a nine to five. We got to go home to spill water and the prognosis that the doctor gave. How do you, how do you deal with a boredom? by laying back and saying, you still there, I'm still there. You still love me, I still love you. And I light my pipe and read a novel that has as much to do with God's grace as my teaching you this morning and our worship in this place, 24 seven, a pool where elephants swim and children can play. And it doesn't define us in church, it defines us in every place we go and in everything we do, God is involved. 
and falling hairs and dead birds and the eternal verities of the Christian faith. Not only do we see in this text, are you of not more value than a pile of birds? God is good and he's benevolent and his grace is a part of his involvement in our lives and the boredom too. When I was a kid, I was not a good kid. I'm an adult and I'm not a good adult and I'm an old guy as old as dirt. I'm not good at being old either. Old people are already irritated about being old, so it takes very little to tick them off. <laughs> but when I was a little kid, I went to a grammar school that had the meanest principal in all of Western North Carolina. He not only, you know how principals put their degrees on their walls? He had a paddle on his wall. I mean, a big mother, a big thing. One time he came to our classroom when he could hear some noise coming from it and he had that big paddle with him, he whacked it. And he said to the teacher, Mrs. Monty, do you need any help here? <laughs> and boy, did he get quiet. Then one day to my horror, I did something I couldn't stop and got sent to the principal's office was awful. I mean, I thought, I'm gonna die. <laughs> I was thinking about how my little brother would enjoy riding my bicycle and stuff like that. I mean, this was a mean, he looked mean. He looked like Mr. Clean. He had a bald dome and he never smiled at anything. And I remember knocking on the door of the principal's office and thinking, this is awful. He said, come in. And I opened the door and came in. So what are you here for? And I said, uh, Mrs. Uh, Smith sent me. And then he, to my surprise, <laughs> said, you don't like her very much, do you? <laughs> you know, I figure I'm gonna die anyway. Why not go out in a blaze of glory? <laughs> and I said, I said, no not much. You know what he said? He said, me neither. <laughs> I thought I'd misheard, man. That's cool. He said, look, sit down, son. He said, let's make a deal. Don't ever tell, and I'm sure he's dead by now, so it's all right. Don't ever tell anybody what I just said. But every day I want you to come by here and we're going to become friends. Don't tell people what we're doing here, but I'll get you out to the bus in time to get you home on time. But let's just talk every afternoon and you come by my office. And over the next two weeks, he became my friend. And people would say, what a, what a horrible, and I would say, no, 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 no. He's not what you think. I feel that way about God all the time. I watch television and the news. I listen to the people who are a part of our family saying stupid things about God. And I wanna say, no. I hear it all the time. Jesus loves you, but don't let it go to your head. <laughs> let it go to your head. He's not what you think. 
You got to be careful about this grace thing. People will take advantage of it. Of course, they'll take advantage of it. And he'll love them even more. Don't say things like you've got to draw the line somewhere. You draw the line. It's not grace because we live in it and we swim in it and we dance with it. And it is the definition of who we are. Jesus is really fond of you. Every speaker has said that. And every time they've said it, I thought, I don't believe it. And so I've got to have you say it to me, and I've got to say it to you, that, that the principle paddle stays on the wall. And grace comes all the time, every day, 24-7 from a God who loves us so profoundly and so deeply that he even allows us to take advantage of him. And Matt said it last night. Didn't you love last night? If I could have preached at that age the way he does, man. Gigi, I would have been your father. I mean, I could have pulled this thing off. <laughs> I just was blown away with what he said last night when he talked about God's sovereignty. I wanted to say, you go, bro. That's what it's all about. God is not only involved. He's not only benevolent and likes us 24-7. He's sovereign over everything that happens in our lives. There is no perspiration on the upper lip of the God of the universe. A number of years ago, I wrote a book. It was the first of a trilogy, Trinitarian. If God's in charge, uh, if Jesus has come, if the Spirit is here. When I, and this has been years ago when I wrote the first of the book. It was on God's sovereignty. And I told the editor, an uptight, mean-spirited, condemning young man, I'd say, I've got a great idea. Let's, let's don't just, it was, if God's in charge, dot, dot, dot. If Jesus has come, dot, dot, dot. If the Holy Spirit is here, dot, dot, dot. And I said, let's call that book, if God's in charge, I don't believe I'm going to do this. If God's in charge, what the hell? <laughs> and I said, and I said, man, we'll send out the title and I won't have to write the book. That's all I want to say to God's people that God's in charge of your cancer and your divorce and your broken heart and your parties and your church services and your worship and your kids and your future and your life and your death. He is a sovereign God. He's not our father. He's our father in heaven who rules the universe. I use that language Sometimes I say it out loud and I feel better. <laughs> a staff member, George Abheider on our staff, he's not with us for this conference. He's, he does our video stuff. And he said, Steve, you've got to quit saying that. You're going to have a major supporter walk down the hall and you're, he's going to hear you say that and we're all going to lose our jobs. 
He said, I'm going to help you. And he was gone for a half an hour and he came back. And he said, I found out how to say it in Latin. <laughs> and I'm going to teach you. You have never in a, in a church had a preacher teach you how to cuss in Latin. It's quid inferorum. When you do it, they don't know you're cussing and they think you're smart. Quid inferorum. My kids are driving me nuts. God is good and sovereign. Quid inferorum. I'm a pastor and my elders are meeting to get rid of me. And I've worked so hard. God is good. He's sovereign. Quid inferorum. I spill water all over my desk and all over the teaching I was going to do at Liberate and on the keyboard of my computer. And God is sovereign and he's good. Quid inferorum. I, uh, I have a friend. His name's Jeff. And he asked me to ask you to pray for him. He's HIV positive. Uh, he struggles with same-sex attraction. He grew up in a very condemning home. And I'm the only one, and I've never met him. I dedicated one of my books to him. You know, you are, if you're straight, you ought to try to dedicate a book to somebody who's gay. and have not, people not think you're gay. <laughs> That's the hard part. <laughs> to my beloved friend, uh, and then you say, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> but I dedicated a book to him because I love him a lot. And day before yesterday, I got an email from him. I had done a series uh, at the Cove uh, on acedia. And you don't have the foggiest idea what acedia is. One of the seven deadly sins. And it's, um, it's sometimes translated as sloth, but it's more than that. It's the noonday demon when you just don't want to do this anymore. I told Jesus this would be a good time to come back. <laughs> but you, <laughs> I hope nobody was hurt, whatever happened. Anyway, Jeff, we sent that series out to the people around the country. And Jeff knew what a CD was. And uh, it, it's just the blahs. It's the, when God seems to have gone to Bermuda and, and nothing's working and you're so tired of being religious and one more church service and one more sermon. Let me... Let me read to you what my friend wrote. I've been listening to those CDs Key Life sent me over the last few weeks dealing with acedia. I have to admit, when I first saw what they were about, I was reluctant to listen. Coming from where I do, I assumed you would be discussing how to get the fire back, 
how to stir up the old passion by reading more of the Bible, going to church every Wednesday and Sunday and praying twice in the morning, once at lunch and just before bed. I figured you would discuss our laziness, our lack of passion and condemn us for not returning Christ's gift to us with undying faithfulness. And perhaps, he wrote, perhaps all of those things need to be said, and they are, of course, true. But after hearing it so much for so long, I can't deal with being beat over the head anymore. I do enough of that to myself. I know all too well that I need to get better. Dealing with my issues, Asidi, is not only impossible to avoid, it surrounds my heart. It is exceedingly difficult to feel any passion when you don't feel worthy to be loved or accepted by a holy God. It's hard to dance before the Lord when you think he only thinks bad things toward you because you still haven't gotten the victory. Oh, spit. I came home from a trip not too long ago. You would love my wife, Anna. And she'd had a miserable, miserable week. Everything had gone wrong. Things had broken in the house. The cat brought a mouse in and gave it as a gift to her. She wasn't feeling good. She had to see the doctor. She was on antibiotics. Now, if you're a guy, you understand that our job is to fix things. I mean, that's our job description. We fix stuff. And I wanted to fix my wife. And so I started making suggestions and she said, shut up. <laughs> and then you know what she said? She said, honey, I don't want you to fix me. I want you to hug me. Sometimes I say that to God. Lord, I don't know if I'm fixable. If you can't fix me, will you hug me? And he does. 24-7. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening. And as a small thank you, make sure you check out our free digital magazine. Just visit us at keylife.org slash digital magazine. Oh,